The five-year average acreage consumed by wildfires in California is 309,675, burnt by an average of 4,162 fires. With 30% of 2020 left to go, a total combined 1,666,285 acres have been torched by 7,335 fires. Today, we're going to talk about the future of our world and the people destroying it. This is Hidden History, and you're listening to episode 85, The Green Dream. Hidden History is always available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and www.hiddenhistory.show. If you like what I do, then subscribe or leave a rating. And if you'd like to support the show in a more personal way, then follow the link in the description of this episode to go to the show's newly formed Patreon page. And now, on to the show. I think it's difficult to convey to older audiences the sheer hopelessness that comes with being a young person right now. I'm not going to spend this episode talking about the economic realities that our generation faces, crushing debt, lack of upward mobility, an unsustainable job market, or soaring housing costs that have left 54% of young Americans living with their parents, the largest amount since the Great Depression, I may add. The fact that right now, 25.7% of Americans from ages 20 to 24 are unemployed. If we're not still on a parent's plan, then healthcare is too astronomically expensive to be able to go to the doctor for a serious medical problem. And you might as well forget about specialists like the dentist or eye doctor. Young Americans are experiencing crushing amounts of anxiety, depression, and stress. According to the CDC, it's caused one in four young Americans to seriously consider suicide within the past month. Our life expectancies are decreasing. Millennials are the first generation in modern American history projected to grow to be poorer than their parents. And that difference is even more stark for Generation Z. As our government has grown more and more domestically repressive, and as the world has been continually consumed by the increasingly severe effects of climate change, our elected officials have stood idly by and refused to give us anything other than empty platitudes about how they, quote, see us and hear us, while actively making the world a worse place and using all their energies to thwart the demands of popular movements. And so, of course, that's going to radicalize a lot of people. The listening audience of this show skews young, but I have a significant portion of listeners who are 45 or older. And so to those listeners, if you have kids, and if you've ever been confused by how angry they've become, or surprised by the policies they talk about, let me explain why. It's because they have been denied a future. It's because unless the entrenched political class who benefit from the status quo have a sudden change of heart and undo the past 50 years of very intentionally crafted policy. Your children 
will never get to enjoy the quality of life that you have. By the time they are your age, the world will be unrecognizable to you. Ravaged by continuous environmental catastrophe that was entirely preventable. Hundreds of millions will die. We are careening at full speed towards a cliff, and the wealthy politicians and billionaires with their hands on the wheel are refusing to change course because it would affect their quarterly earnings and corporate campaign donations. I can talk about the crushing feeling of being a young person for hours and hours, but unless you truly are young, it is impossible for you to really understand. You can sympathize with us, but you can't truly know that feeling. And it's not a knock against you. You just don't have the frame of reference. It's like how um, I was born in 1998, which puts me on the older end of Generation Z. It also means that I grew up in the mid-2000s. I don't remember 9-11, and I don't remember what the world was like before 9-11. All I knew is what adults told me, that I was living in a, quote, post-9-11 world. Those same people inevitably reminisced for the days before September 11th, talking at length about how things were better and how there is a sense that 9-11 was the death of Americans feeling secure at home, almost akin to the death of innocence. I can listen to those wistful memories for however long I like, and I can understand the fundamental differences in foreign and domestic policy, in sense of security, and in national psyche. But what I can't understand is what it would feel like, really feel like, deep down in the pit of my stomach, to exist in that world. I lack the fundamental frame of reference to imagine, on a deep psychological level, what it would be like to live free of all the things the post-9-11 world has imposed upon us. If you're from an older generation, chances, and I'm making a pretty broad assumption here, You've probably lived some portion of your life during a time when an apocalyptic climate disaster wasn't looming on the horizon, seemingly entirely out of your control. Depending on where you're from, the color of your skin, and when you were born, you may have had the privilege to not worry about climate, to live in a place where it wasn't even an undercurrent of the public psyche. Young people do not have that privilege. We can't conceptualize not having to worry about the environment, not having a deeply ingrained anxiety over it, because that is our future. And to some degree, that's sad, isn't it? Essentially, it's saying that it's extraordinarily difficult to conceptualize what a better world might feel like. And that's because it's one of the chief duties of our system to kill the political imagination. To raise children on a regimented diet of, this is as good as it gets, our system is set in stone, and so there is no use trying. 
this reality is not the fault of any one person or entity. It is a systemic problem. And the root of that problem is capitalism. As Ursula Le Guin once wrote, quote, We live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. So too did the divine right of kings. Any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings. So with that in mind, let's talk about climate change. The companies that are destroying our planet, ExxonMobil, Royal Dutch Shell, British Petroleum, Chevron, they knew. They always knew. In the 1950s, scientists recognized that burning fossil fuels was producing far more carbon dioxide than natural carbon sinks could absorb. In 1965, President Johnson said to Congress, quote, Air pollution is no longer confined to isolated places. This generation has altered the composition of the atmosphere on a global scale through a steady increase in carbon dioxide through the burning of fossil fuels. In 1968, two scientists from Stanford University's Smoke and Fumes Committee, Elmer Robinson and R.C. Robbins, submitted their research, a paper called Sources, Abundance, and Fate of Atmospheric Pollutants, which directly linked the oil industry to increasing CO2 levels and future climate change. They submitted it to the American Petroleum Institute. The oil companies knew. In 1982, Exxon conducted an internal study on carbon emissions that accurately predicted into current day the path of global warming, admitting that fossil fuel consumption caused it, saying that in order to prevent a catastrophic and irreversible climate catastrophe, global consumption of fossil fuels must drastically change. The hard date they gave in 1982, after which climate damage would become runaway and irreversible, 2030. What then could have easily been accomplished through incremental change is now a Herculean task of stunning immediacy. And why is that? Because Exxon engaged in a coordinated campaign to discredit the research of its own scientists. They knew for decades that their work would lead to irreversible climate disaster, to millions of deaths. And instead of doing something about it, they covered up the evidence because it would have hurt their bottom line. They carried on for years knowing that their work could bring about an end to the world as we now know it. And they were fine with that. Because capitalism doesn't reward saving the world, does it? That reason alone is one of the many reasons why meaningful social change is impossible under a capitalist system. Capitalism actively discourages the adoption of long-term strategic policy that benefits society at the expense of potential profit. 
ExxonMobil and companies like it have no incentive to engage in a costly and complicated shift to renewable energy production when it's cheaper and more immediately profitable to continue use of petroleum. The only duty of the corporation is to produce value for its shareholders. In order to do so, they would endanger life on the entire planet and then simply let the next guy deal with it. We are now seeing the effects of that policy. In the pursuit of short-term profits, capitalism has run our environment into the ground, imperiling the very nature of human presence on this earth. But to them, that's fine. Because all the people who are responsible for the state of our world, like Jeff Miller, the CEO of Halliburton, or Bernard Looney, the CEO of BP, or Darren Woods, the CEO of ExxonMobil, or Stephen Schwartzman, the CEO of Blackstone, the financial giant that actively invests in petroleum, they don't have to live with the consequences of their actions. They are old men who will die peacefully in their sleep decades before the result of their crimes would have any discernible impact on the quality of the lives of the very wealthy. They get to knowingly poison the world for fun so they can tack on another billion to their personal fortunes. And the one electoral policy that could save us from this fate, the Green New Deal, is treated like a pie in the sky by politicians who will not be materially affected by climate catastrophe. Our politicians are useless. While California burns out of control, Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom beseeched the people to vote. In a tweet accompanied by a series of photos of San Francisco's now blood-red sky, he acts like California, and every state on the West Coast for that matter, doesn't have a Democratic supermajority, or, more importantly, that he himself didn't campaign against fracking and then secretly approve dozens of fracking permits for well-connected companies in the midst of a pandemic. This presidential election coming up in two months should be the easiest one in the world for the Democrats to win. Donald Trump is a monstrous, petulant little child who has mishandled every issue in his tenure. But Joe Biden, it seems, is trying his absolute hardest to lose. While the stakes become higher and higher and we careen ever faster towards disaster, he has repeatedly announced that he refuses to even ban fracking. A tiny concession, and far from even a percent of the bold action that is needed to save our environment. As a matter of fact, his climate plan got an F from the Sunrise Movement. It's full of half-measures so insignificant that the scientific community says you might as well not do anything at all. Barack Obama is talking at length about how we need to vote for Democrats to prevent climate disaster, as if oil and natural gas production and consumption didn't significantly rise every year he was in office, a fact that he later bragged about. 
Nancy Pelosi calls the Green New Deal, quote, the green dream or whatever. And Dianne Feinstein openly ridiculed schoolchildren who visited her office to ask her to support it. That makes me absolutely furious. I want to live a long, healthy life in a healthy world, and I'm guessing you do too. In order to do that, there once was a time when we could make comfortable incremental change. That time passed long before my generation was even born. And so now America's young people have been forced into a hellish situation that we did not choose, that we did not create, but nonetheless one that we will live with the repercussions of for our entire lives. This is an incredibly severe and immediate issue. And at least in terms of the next four years, the man who will steer policy for one of the largest polluters on Earth will either actively accelerate climate change or simply do nothing to stop it. Thanks for listening. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History. Signing off.